tuned in to TV You Grew Up With, where we interview the people who created the greatest TV shows ever made. Here's your host, Jim Harrell. Welcome to TV You Grew Up With. I am Jim Harold, and I am so excited to be with you today. I have one of my favorite people on the line, a personal friend, but also a person who is a very, very big figure on television late 90s, early 2000s. She was on one of my favorite stations. Uh, You may know it as Tech TV, originally ZDTV. And I'm talking about Kate Botello, who was, of course, the host of shows like The Screensavers, GameSpot TV, and Extended Play. Kate Botello, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you, Jim. I am so tickled to be here. Now, some people may not know this. If people are just know Kate and have no idea who this Jim Harold guy is, we actually co-hosted a podcast, an audio podcast for a couple of years ago called uh, uh, Weird News Radio, and that was a ton of fun. So uh, I really mean it, Kate. It was a pleasure to work with you on that, and, and always great to catch up. Oh, it was so great. My only regret is that I do not have the Weird News Radio chicken here with me yes, today. Yes, yes, the chicken. Well, the chicken is somewhere in a closet. Maybe one day we'll be resurrected. We'll have to see about that. But anyway, Kate, uh, you know, the the first time I became familiar with you and your work was, um, I think it was uh, 1999. I just gotten Dish TV and I was flipping through, you know, when you get a new cable package or TV package, you say, oh, what stations are here? And there was a station called ZDTV. And I'm like, what in the world is this? And one of the first things I saw were this guy and this young lady talking about tech, talking about gadgets. I'm like, I am in geek heaven. This is great. I didn't know anything like this existed. It was uh, tech TV and uh, it really was short lived, but made quite an impact. How did you get involved with uh, tech TV? Well, it was kind of a roustabout way, actually. I was working for Ziff Davis in the IT department. So I was one of the troubleshooters that would go around to the varying magazines and so forth and fix broken computers. And then Ziv Davis announced that it was launching a television network, and they asked if anybody had ideas for shows. Well, of course, because we were in the IT department, we said, well, there has to be an IT show. You know, what if somebody's server is down? What if this happens? What if that happens? So I called Leo Laporte. Now, I had known Leo Laporte because part of my troubleshooting duties was uh, working on the computers for the MSNBC show, The Site. Yeah, which was he made... had played, um, what was the Nev Dull or something? Or Dev, Dev Null. Null. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was the virtual character Dev Null, and I was the IT person uh, for The Site, so we knew each other that way. And he actually had busted me one day um, rehearsing while I was fixing a laser printer. So I was doing theater and computers at the same time. And so he caught, you know, Judy Garland at the laser printer. (laughs) Uh, And we made great friends after that. So I sent him an email saying, hey, you know, we IT kids think that there should be a TV show. And he said, yes, there will be one and I'm making it and you need to be on it. (laughs) So I pretty much went from there. Yeah. Oh, that that's great. And it it, it almost seems to me like one of those things, it always... uh... It was so short-lived, but it seemed like a very special moment in time. I just think about the kind of people that were there. You were there. Of course, Leo Laporte was there. Patrick Norton was there. Uh, Chris uh, Perillo, I believe, was there. Adam Sessler, who you also worked with, was there. Uh, I believe um, Sarah Lane was there. Mm -hmm. I I mean, you did just such a collection of like an all-star team. 
was there it at the was same pretty time. amazing. And, and what yeah, was it and, like? And, and, uh, well, you know, for us, we weren't an all-star team yet. <laughs> We were just a bunch of kooky kids making television. And it was great fun because they allowed us to be hugely creative. Uh, this had never been done before, so nobody knew what the rules were. So we got to try to figure those out, which was always a great, fun challenge. So it was just, yeah, it was an environment where everybody was really on fire, really creative, and really excited to share their knowledge. Because what started happening almost right away was that people would write to us and tell us these incredible things like, you know, I've watched the show and you already helped me so much and I'm, you know, launching a new career, things like that. Uh, and so it was really inspiring and would give us a lot of reason to kind of try to keep going and do as much as we can. So it was a very exciting time. I'm going to list off some people. And okay. just uh, if you can just give me some uh, impressions of them. Now, I know you do actual impressions, but I'm not asking for an actual impression. Just some some thoughts on them and, and people. And, and maybe you've worked with all these people. Maybe some of these people you didn't work with. And we'll start with the biggie, of course. And I want to talk about this in a little bit about uh, things like Twit and Revision 3 and those kind of things and your thought on those. But we'll start with the big guy, Leo Laporte. Well, Leo, I, I always categorized Leo as just being the king super genius. I mean, it was just ludicrous how much that man knew, but because he'd been doing it his whole life. So he knew every aspect of computing in, out, and sideways. And of course, because he also had been doing radio for such a long time, he had a huge grasp on media and how to do all of that as well. So he was just, you know, hugely dynamic and just as hilarious and weird as the rest of us as well, you know. Um, but just so bright and so smart, and I could never figure out. I mean, he hosted these two help shows simultaneously and was the managing editor for both of them and managed to pull all of that off and never really seemed that stressed out about it. So I don't know how he did it, but I always just thought of him as like the smartest guy. I mean, he majored in Chinese in college. <laughs> He, you know, it's not like he majored in pro he majored in Chinese and still can speak. So, yeah, brilliant genius guy. Uh, Patrick Norton. Norton. See, I can't even call him Patrick Norton. I always just say Norton. Oh, I loved Norton too. Norton was or is. Uh, let's see. Norton was a big aggressive, tough guy with just tons of energy, but also really sweet. So imagine, you know, tough, but very sweet, uh, but with a great sense of humor and really funny and also just passionate about tech, really passionate about making sure that every detail was exactly right, that we didn't get anything wrong, that we never misled the viewers. And he was a big force for truth and accuracy and was just really, you know, passionate about that and just a great, easy fun person to be around. And of course, your partner in crime in terms of the gaming shows, Adam Sessler. The Sessler is another one of those people that blew me away with his commitment. I mean, that guy knew everything to know about games. And if he didn't know, he was going to find out. I mean, he was incredibly aggressive. Even as a journalist, he would do amazing things like find this hotel or that hotel and find out where this developer would be. And he would know exactly all of the best in-depth questions to ask and was, again, just so passionate and so into it. And, you know, we also had a really fun society of two because 
for a while there, we shot extended play in field shoots. And field shoots are very challenging because it's you, camera folks, and a producer. And then there's always like hundreds of people milling around trying to sure. distract you or making things confusing. And so it was always, we, we always kind of felt like each other was an oasis in the craziness of all of the field shoots that we did. So it was just a great pleasure. And, you know, he was just and is just hilarious, one of the funniest people I've ever met. Well, and then also to think about the people that are doing other things as well. I mean, look at Erica. Yeah, Erica oh, Hill yeah. is on the Weekend Today show. Michaela Pereira is on CNN. Uh, Jennifer London is on Al Jazeera. Sumi Doss is on BBC. You know, I mean, the, the, Becky Worley is on GMA. So it is always so fun to see the face of a friend on the television. So, oh, and we'll see Brett, too. Um, he is a tech consultant. We see him on the television all the time. So it's always, you know, and it's been so long, but it doesn't matter. You still shout out and squeak like it was yesterday when you see your friends on TV. So it's pretty cool. It, it seems like, a, a you know, a, an interesting time caught in amper, but it, it didn't last very long. Can you tell us about uh, maybe the, the, the sadder side of it when, when things started to, to wind down and, and when you left? Yeah, you know... It, it went through many iterations because in the very beginning, ZDTV was really wild and wooly because, again, we were pioneers. That kind of television had never existed. And frankly, almost no one was watching. So we were able to just kind of do whatever we wanted. Uh, and then I was the one guy in Cleveland. Right. Thank you. And thank you. Um, you know, we felt like we knew most of our viewers by their first names, you know, for the first couple of years there. But uh, we started there. And what invariably ends up happening with any kind of program like this or any kind of, of media project is that you can start out being as loony as you want. But the minute that you start having viewers and investors and things like that, you have to start answering to people and straightening things out, making sure that they're, you know, clean and orderly and, and all of that kind of thing. You have to start responding to focus groups and research and all of that. So we kind of decided to tighten in and make things a little shinier, more professional, you know, and we started doing that with tech TV. And that was really great. And then this, then basically what happened, I think the big downfall really was when they decided to go with tech live and they took something like eight hours of programming a day and turned it into a continuous stream of tech news. And I think our audience was very much used to that kind of garagey, silly feel. They really liked that feeling uh, and I don't know, maybe people just didn't want to watch that much tech news every day. I'm not really sure what happened because just as many of the same delightful people were doing um, the tech TV news that were doing the programs. So I don't think it was any kind of issue of, you know, with the talent or anything like that. I just think it was really more of a content issue. And so we basically just stuck there for a while and, and kept doing that project and eventually, it just kind of started to fade. Uh, the whole station, you know, shut down and moved to L.A. not very long at all after that. It amazes me. I remember the old, and I don't know what you guys called it, when you had your kind of webcam network and these awful webcam images. I mean, it was like two frames a second. <laughs> it was like, nah, 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 nah. but but it, it, it seemed to me... And I think it's actually a precursor to what's happened with things like Twit and uh, and with podcasting and those kind of things. It seemed to me, and you you spoken to this a little bit. There was a real connection 
between the personalities and the audience that wasn't really there in in traditional media. That's true. And I'm not always able to figure out exactly what happened there. I think the net cam really helped. And I also think, at least as far as the screensavers and call for help were concerned, that was about direct communication with the audience. We didn't have a show unless we communicated directly with the people. So that, I think, gave us a lot of familiarity, you know, just kind of on that very basic level and that we were talking directly to people in their homes, which not every show does. Other things kind of give you a third or fourth wall or something like that. And we didn't do that. We talked directly to them. So I think that was part of it. I think part of it, honestly, uh, for the screensavers at least, was the time that it was on. I heard from lots of people that they would come home and the whole family would watch us at dinner time, which is so amazing. Uh, but, you know, people would send us videos of like their toddlers waving at us, you know, and, you know, little three-year-olds saying, hi, Kate. And it was just amazing. It was crazy. I bet you still, I bet you still run into people that say, hey. I remember you from the screensavers. Once in a very blue moon. It just it depends really on where we were carried, you know. And we were carried here in Michigan, so there was one incident where I was at my mother-in-law's baking pie, covered in flour, in an apron, and uh, a repairman came to the door to fix something, and, and he just stopped dead in the kitchen and said, "Aren't you Kate Patello?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm covered in like cherries and flour and pie. I'm like, yeah, that's me. Hi. I can't believe you just recognized me, even under all this flour. But there you go. Yes. And and I think I'd be remiss not to mention this. And I, I want to talk about what you went on to and, and you know, the, the interesting things that you went on to do. But there's one person who I think you met at Tech TV is probably the most important person in your life that you met there. Can you talk about him a little bit? I certainly can. Well, you see. <laughs> when I was working <laughs> when I was working on extended play, we had ourselves a web producer by the name of Ray Weigel, who was a really terrific guy. Then there's some changes were made at extended play, and he ended up moving down into the tech TV lab. Now the tech TV lab, if I can just sidebar for one second, I cannot tell you how much respect. I have and had for that lab and still do to this day because the editorial integrity level was absolutely pristine, just through the roof. So he was there working with them on those very, very exciting projects. And, uh, you know, we started dating and uh, we're going on our 13th year of marriage now. Yeah, he's a he's a great guy. Got to know Ray a little bit during our uh during our work with uh, Weird News Radio, and he was always very supportive of everything that that we both did on that program, and and, and just a fantastic guy. And after all, that's the that's the ultimate trophy to get from a from a job a, a life partner. Yes, a lot of great things happened with us being at Tech TV, but of course, the best part was finding each other. So, tell us about your mindset. What was the the next chapter uh, for Kate Patello? I was ready to just take off and go to New York and do theater. That was really what I wanted to do. And they had been extremely gracious to me at Tech TV and had given me um, six weeks off to go to New York and be in a show off Broadway because it was right after September 11th. And so a lot of people, it was the first Christmas in New York after 9-11, and a lot of people just could not be there. And there were a couple of actors in the show that they 
just couldn't replace. And so they asked me if I would come and do it. And Tech TV was kind enough to give me the time off to do it. But of course, as I did it, I then rediscovered my great love for theater, which I'd been doing before camera work. So that was really in the back of my head. And when it came time to be able to leave, I really felt like that needed to be my next chapter. So I was ready to go do that. And I did. And you did. I mean, you did. Uh, was a one-woman show, uh, uh, Judy Garland, uh, and, and you, you did quite a bit, if I understand correctly. I did. Well, the way that it worked out, it began with a show called Christmas with the Crawfords uh, that ran off Broadway for quite a few years. In fact, they just brought it back this year, as a matter of fact. Uh, and then we did, so we did that show for two years. And after that, they told us the show was not coming back. So the cast members got together and said, hey, let's do our own show. We've got a barn. We can find a barn somewhere. So I wrote a little show called Judy's Christmas Garland that had some of the cast members from Christmas with the Crawfords in it. And that turned out to actually be a big hit. So we followed up with another one. Uh, and again, so it's Judy and Friends. So we would have the first one had Judy and Marilyn Monroe and uh, trying to remember. Oh, Celia Cruz, because we had an amazing Sade Pendarvis, God rest her soul. We had an amazing, amazing singer that could play any number of people. So she was Celia Cruz in this. We had Janis Joplin. Uh, and then later we did another version of the show where... Sade, that same singer, played Ella Fitzgerald. Wow. And on some nights, Ray Charles. Unbelievable. Wow. That's, that's versatile. Yes. That's really versatile. You know, and a Gene Kelly. And we just did these delightful little things, and we called them cabarusicals because we kind of cheated. We went into the cabaret setting. We used standards, but then we wrote a script with a full plot to go around them, and they were great fun. And, of course, I also had a terrific ridiculous nightclub gig singing at a place called Bardot, which is no longer there, mm. but it was a fabulous bar where some of the most famous drag queen singers you could ever hear of would go and perform. And the only deal they made with me was that I had to do one set of Judy songs per night. Mm -hmm. Other than that, I could sing anything I wanted. So Pretty much, with the exception of Chardet's brilliant sister, Ellie, I was the only biological female that sang in that club. It was terrific. Now, I hate to put you on the spot, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> so okay. let's say that Judy Garland were with us. What would she say about being a guest on a podcast? Well, I, I, I suppose she'd want to know what kind of, of pod it was. Is, is it like a, a peep? pod and and how does that work with the the, the casting uh, is that casting for fish so, so this I, i'm seeing a visual here of pea pods <laughs> on fishing lines uh, and I, I i i think it's lovely uh, i'd love to support that idea but I, i'm not quite sure i i, I get it <laughs> bravo bravo uh, yeah that's and i i've seen some of the stuff online you, you do a great job and it's very very uh impressive so now you're um you know Several things happened. You, you made a move back to the, the Midwest. Why did you uh, decide to leave the Great White Way and the lights of uh, Broadway and off-Broadway in, in, in New York City? Well, we had done all of these shows in a row, and they were successful, and they were good. And the next thing that needed to happen was that we would take them on tour and do all of the things necessary to promote ourselves. And while we were doing that, we were taking a look at New York and the next phase of our life and trying to decide what we were going to do. And Ray's parents, who lived in Traverse City, went away 
uh, for the winter. And they asked if, you know, we asked if we could house sit for them for a little bit. So we came out here in the dead of February when it was 15 below, and we were instantly madly in love with Traverse City, with the forest, with the water, with the air, with everything about it. I, I had this feeling sometimes in New York, um, you know, I'd see the children walking up and down the street, and, and I'd talk to them, and they were 30 by the time they were 10. You know, and I thought, maybe we need to look at something else. So we that had been kind of our five-year plan anyway, and we decided to move it up, and we just came out here and started from there. And... Um I know that you worked on the the web design side of things and and so forth and started to I know that you did some teaching theater teaching locally and then this guy that does these weird UFO podcasts asked you to do a podcast <laughs> and voila thus weird news radio was born yes so ray <laughs> is still very heavily tech busy he runs traverse city web design and he is all tech all the time. But yes, you and I branched off into weird news and I taught theater and did things like that. It was all so much fun. That podcast was just a blast because research was looking up bizarre yeah, like news, wacky stories. news stories. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. But I do have to ask you, you know, you, you, uh, two things I want to ask you about this. Um, first of all, when you see now, Leo Laporte readily says twit. Uh, his uh, netcast network, his podcast network, is kind of the reamalgamation of the spirit of tech TV when it, you know, when it first started. Uh, what do you think when you see networks like that and Revision Three and uh, some of the other things that are out there, things like Tom Merritt are doing and, and, and different folks involved uh, in the old tech TV? What What are your thoughts? Oh, I just applaud it as hard as I possibly can. I think it is fantastic because it, and it's not surprising because these are the same pioneers that invented the station, you know, that came up with this idea to begin with. So, of course, they're still pioneering and trying to come up with new venues and new ways to be seen. And that's the thing. I mean, what didn't change? What did not change at Tech TV was the passion of everybody there. So they kept that. Their ingenuity did not change. You know, so it's just wonderful, especially when they get together, because those minds all worked together so well. And whenever they get together and do something, it always just turns out great. So I'm just a big fan of that. Always a big fan of anybody doing anything independently on their own. It's like you and your podcasts. That's something you want to do that you're passionate about. And you just do it. And I just think it's awesome. So hooray for all of the iterations of my former tech TV colleagues, and I just can't support them enough in everything they're doing. And this is actually something I don't think I've ever asked you off, Mike, but I am curious. Ten years ago, you started seeing all these tech podcasts, and you can almost host one of these shows anywhere. Was there or is there ever the temptation to revisit the tech waters and maybe do something in terms of a tech uh, video podcast or audio podcast? Has that ever crossed your mind? Not really, no. I, I think for me, tech uh, changed its face from being a passion to just being something very utilitarian. You know, I, I can't really add anything new to the tech discussion. I pretty much use what's out there and use it hard, you know, like you do. Um, but that particular field, I mean, you have to really choose your field, get in and immerse yourself, you know, and I, I don't think... And right now I'm immersing myself in other things that really need the same kind of level of attention. Mm -hmm. So I'm just focusing there. Well, let's get to that. 
public radio. Now you're a personality on public radio, Morning Drive. Uh, tell us about how that came to be and, and what that's like, because it, it, you know, just by following your social media and so forth, it seems like you're having the time of your life. Oh, yeah. This is so great. Okay. So I work at Interlochen Arts Academy. Interlochen is basically Hogwarts for artists. <laughs> it is an amazing, amazing school full of young artists, top caliber, incredible professors and musicians and, and people who are artists who all work here. And this is just an amazing place. So we work in the broadcast and online music service of, of Interlochen. So I am the classical, the morning classical host and producer, which is a huge joy. And again, classical music is something that's always been in my background. So even while doing extended play or doing the screensavers or doing any of those kinds of things, I was always, you know, the kid listening to Mozart at home as well. So um, that really worked out great in terms of what I already knew. But basically, I was here in Traverse City, um, yes, teaching theater, directing, teaching young people musical theater, doing that kind of work. And I was a member of an improv troupe called Good on Paper. They are just fantastic. And one of the IPR reporters, Interlochen Public Radio Arts and Culture Reporters, came to see our show. And he called me like six months later and said, hey, Kate, do you know anything about classical music? And I said, I do, and no one's ever asked me that question before, so please tell me why you're asking me that question. And he said, you know, we're looking for this music host, and we've been looking forever, and we haven't found one yet. And I thought it was the longest humanly possible shot, but lo and behold, here I am. <laughs> and you know something, and I think it almost brings it full circle. We talked about that connection between the tech TV audience and the hosts. And having worked uh, at a classical music radio station myself for several years, uh, there was all in the uh, Cleveland area, there was always a very deep connection between that audience and um, that radio station. I got to believe it's very similar for you up there. It is. Well, you know, I think tech and classical music have that thing in common. I think that people who are passionate about it are incredibly passionate about it. You know, it becomes its own niche. And because you can't find it everywhere, I mean, you can, but it's not necessarily everywhere on your dial. You know, there may be one or two places on your dial that you can find it. And because of that, because it's kind of rarefied, people care about it a lot. And it shouldn't be rarefied. You know what I mean? Classical music was not considered fancy music in Mozart's time. That was dinner music. You could talk over Mozart. You could clap between movements. You could do all that kind of thing. It was just party music at the time. But still, the people that listen to it really care. They know it well. And it affects them very strongly emotionally because they want it to. You know, that's what they come to the music sure. for. So we're very careful, in, and I'm very careful in the way that I program uh, to make the music different, vary it up a lot, or the time of day and how people might feel about it. And, uh, you know, you might have somebody who passionately hates the same composition that someone else passionately loves, and that makes it one of the great challenges and makes it so much fun. It's, it's again, the best thing about the audience is that they care. So the tech TV audience really cared about what we were doing, and so does the classical audience. So it, let's say somebody's tuned in and they haven't heard from Kate Patello for, geez, 15 years. And they say, you know, I just loved Kate's personality. I want to hear that bubbly personality again. Where can they go on the net to, to listen to you on Interlochen? 
It's very easy to do that. If you go to interlochenpublicradio.org, you can click on a listen tab. Now, I'm on from 7 until 10 o'clock Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. And I also have a lot of features on our website. So if you want to hear anything or old interviews, things like that, you can find them there. There is one project that I am particularly passionate about, and we're just now starting to build an archive on the website that we call The Kids Commute. And this was from some friends of mine who told me that they would drive to work every day and that they were listening to classical IPR on their way to work and they're driving the kids to school and the kids are listening as well. And I don't know if you remember, when your parents drove you to work or to school, you had to listen to whatever they were listening to on the radio, right? Exactly. Right. So driver's boss of the dial. So I thought, well, if you're going to be stuck in the car on the way to school listening to your parents' radio, why not have something that's made specifically for you? As a kid, you know, why not some kid minutes? All classical music, that's all grown-up minutes. How about some kid minutes? So we developed this program, The Kids Commute, that is a short music appreciation lesson for kids. And they learn about composers and styles and eras and all kinds of fantastic things. And uh, they seem to really like it. So that is a great joy. So that's on at 7.40 every morning if you want to hear it live. But we also have an archive now. Uh, on our website. So just go there, poke around. I'm all over the place on that site. That is fantastic. Well, Kate Patello, you're truly one of those people who is just as nice one-to-one and in person as you are on TV and radio. And we know that that's rare. So really what people see on TV, that's what they, uh, they get. I've known Kate for a few years and she's just a great person and very generous with her time to share some of it with us today. Kate Patello, thank you for joining us on TV You Grew Up With. Jim Harold, it has been such a pleasure. And to all of you Tech TV fans, can't believe how amazing and loyal you are after all these years. You are the best fans ever. Thank you. And thank you. And thank you for tuning in to TV you grew up with. Please subscribe in iTunes. Tell your friends. We have a lot more great interviews like this one coming up with people from classic TV that you grew up with. We'll talk to you next time and stay tuned. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you.